That's one of our rules. That's one of our company rules. When someone says they've been doing something for 30 years, we go the other, we say, all right, you definitely don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's, that's a good sign that, because it's like things change. Like, Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands. From developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm so excited today because I have two founders from one of my favorite companies, Treff, on the line with me today. So I would like to welcome Nick Gian and Nick Agloni to the podcast. Welcome to both of you. And I'm sorry if I slightly butchered the names. <laughs> Not at all. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. So there's so many things I want to ask you, but it must be hard to both be Nick's and both be co-founders of the same company. Is that true? Is it complicated, confusing for people? I think it's played in our favor. It's played in our favor big time. Because <laughs> we were like younger and like just out of college when we started this and people we would talk to in the industry and whatnot, or like a co-packer, like they thought it was like cute, these two little Nicks. Like, that's hilarious. oh, like that's so cool. Nick and Nick, like we are essentially kids. And so I think it played in our favor. Well, that's a good segue to talk about when you founded Truff and why. I'd love to hear the backstory to how you guys came to this, especially right out of college. You have a really interesting story. I don't think that yours is as traditional as some of the other people I've had on. Yes, yeah, it's, it's quite a strange story. Nick and I, we met back in college. I was friends with his older sister's friend group, and she always heard me talking about you know startups and little business projects and she knew her brother, Nick A, was also super into that. So she was like, hey, you guys should connect. And as soon as we did, we hit it off. And, you know, we started talking about different business ideas that both he and I were working on in college. And, you know, we knew, I think, eventually we would start something together, but we didn't really know when it was. So in the meantime, we were just kind of bouncing ideas off of each other and helping each other with the current projects that we were each working on individually. And... You know, throughout college, we got really immersed into social media, this new wave of, you know, Instagram and Facebook, et cetera. And one of the things that we really liked to do, you know, one of our little hustles was kind of scooping up these original names on Instagram. And in, you know, 2015, we got the word sauce on Instagram. And instantly, you know, we didn't know where this would lead us, but we knew this was kind of special and we wanted to do something cool with it. So, we started growing this account on Instagram and we started posting really cool content, things we thought would resonate well with the pop culture foodie. And you know, the word sauce, it has two meanings. It's, it's a food item, but also in pop culture, you know, rappers talk about sauce and you got the sauce, et cetera, et cetera. So we knew there was this kind of cool bridge between like food, fashion, lifestyle, popular culture. And we wanted to, create an account that kind of resembled all of that together. So as we started, you know, posting content and building the account, we started to get some traction, some celebrities started following us and it really started to turn into a thing. And we kind of looked at each other and said, Hey, do we just want to be this cool Instagram account called sauce? Or do we want to take this a step further? Do we want to create a brand that would live on this platform and, you know, eventually create a real company that sold products, et cetera. That's really what led us down this rabbit hole of, okay, let's create a sauce. 
And we looked at, you know, salad dressings and barbecue sauces and hot sauce. And hot sauce at the time was very relevant in pop culture. Hoi Fong Sriracha was having its moment. Beyonce was talking about having hot sauce in her bag. And its place in pop culture and mainstream was very relevant. The category as a whole was a very large category. And we took a deeper dive into the hot sauce market. That's when we saw a lot of opportunity across the board. We didn't see any top shelf hot sauce brand that existed. Nobody was really doing the Ciroc of hot sauce, right? The lifestyle, cool brand. A lot of these brands had been around for a while, so they weren't really on social media or Instagram. They've been in the grocery store for a while. So, you know, we didn't see any top shelf hot sauce brand that existed. None of these brands were really as in tune with like social media and the landscape of this new digital era. And we said, hey, okay, let's create the world's first top shelf luxury hot sauce brand. Nick, do you want to take it from there? Can I ask you one question about two questions? When was this? Like, what year did you guys do that? How early on in social media's sort of life cycle was that? So the account before it was Truff started in about 2015. 2015. Okay. And we didn't launch the company until 2017. So what was the idea initially with it, with the Instagram, what was the thinking? Were you thinking you were going to create a brand at some point or were you just kind of messing around on Instagram? Yeah. So I guess 2015 is the year we got at sauce, but I think our dive into social media was the four years before that, while we were in college and we had watched Instagram become what we thought was like the premier place to showcase and spread awareness of a brand. I mean, there was, I think the fitness scene really paved the way, to be honest, with, you know, supplements and clothing lines. And it was the first kind of influencer type market where people would use other fitness celebrities or people with the following to share their products. And we saw a lot of these brands have pretty crazy growth and awareness just through like Instagram. And, you know, on, on our brands in college, we were using Snapchat, we were using YouTube, we were using Twitter. Twitter was like, Twitter and Snapchat were actually, you know, the two tools I used most for a previous brand. Anyway, so that kind of led us to getting this at sauce handle. And what we were thinking to answer your question was, so we were inspired by Complex Magazine a little bit, because they were kind of the face of culture at the time, and they still, you know, kind of are. But, and so... A lot of our audience kind of, we had kind of cross audiences. There's was obviously way bigger, but we kind of like fit into the vibe of that popular culture feel. And, you know, Sauce, this is part of the story we don't usually tell because it never really comes up, but we were actually going to first be like a media-esque company called Sauce that had merch, like clothing and stuff. And we were going to make a $100 bottle of Sauce with a gold-plated nozzle as kind of like a testament to our media platform. And when we really did the math, we were like, well, how many of these, who can buy a hundred dollars? Like what, how many can we sell, mm-hmm. you know? And it wasn't about, you know, we were always looking to find, you know, people always say product market fit. Like, I think we were, we really understood the market and the demographic and the audience of culture and popular culture and the media landscape to an extent and CPG to an extent. And so we kind of, when we tried to marry the three, we realized that the best way forward would be still a luxurious sauce, but just the sauce and more attainable than $100. We understood the competition in media and in merchandise, like, you know, sweatshirts and all that kind of stuff. And so 
we looked at where we thought we had the best opportunity in the area where we could make the biggest splash. Wow. That's pretty wild. I mean, that's a totally unique way of starting a brand and, and really timely. Like would that work now? Probably not. Right. There's so many brands. There's so it many. Would just look, it would look different now. Yeah. Would, you would go about it in a different way. I think, yep. you know, I think 2022 is the 2012 of 2030, obviously, but like <laughs> it's, that's it's very yeah, I know it's so like, there's all, it's always early we feel, but you couldn't go about things the same way we did with our growth hacks, with our seeding to people and things like that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, you would go about it differently. You'd have to kind of engineer your campaigns and your approach to like cut through the fat in like a different way now. Mm -hmm. So talk about the decision to create the product. Yeah. So as Nick mentioned, we wanted to make an upscale, luxurious lifestyle hot sauce. And it's like, okay, well, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah. And what we really felt was this was going to be ingredient driven. And so we looked at, we need a formula that's actually luxurious and incredible and amazing. And we we're both very aware of truffle, not really consumers. We were just out of college, but we were familiar and you know, we've had it once or twice. And we looked at other things. We looked at saffron. We looked at caviar. We did some Googling on what else is like crazy extensive and hard to mm -hmm. get. But we ultimately landed on truffle. For a few reasons, one of them, I think we thought it was the most realistic. We're not chefs, but we were pretty, it's pretty obvious that you don't really take something as delicate as a truffle and then you like burn it with hot sauce. Like that's not the typical route. Yeah. And so to us, that kind of mesmerized us. Like we, none of this was typical. So like, why not lean into something that makes no sense? And so we just spent a couple of years, like really trying to create a hot sauce that could incorporate truffle in like a perfect way. And it wasn't like, let's just throw it in the bottle. We knew it had to be like head turning, like jaw dropping, amazing flavor, make food better. Like it had to actually be, you know, what we were saying it was. And so that's all we really cared about for a couple of years. And we literally went all in on making the you know best formula with the highest quality supply chain and travel's not cheap. And we just oh. spent a lot of time in that. And alongside of that, we were putting a lot of time into like the brand, the packaging, the approach and all that kind of stuff. How were you doing it? I mean, right out of college with your Instagram thing, which I, did you ever monetize the Instagram thing before you even started the brand or were you just sort of like committed to starting something? We both had, you know, projects that I kind of mentioned throughout college Yeah. and, you know, we were able to, to use social media, Instagram, for example, and really understand what it takes to build a brand and, you know, seed influencers and growth yeah. act, et cetera. So we did have some experience with other projects that, allowed us to ramp up a little bit quicker on the sauce account, but we had never monetized the sauce account at all. It was all purely value driven, posting really cool content, yeah. growing the community, et cetera. I think you're also, you're asking, how did we fund ours? Like, so we worked I'm jobs. Asking both. Like you worked for a long time before you even got to the brand. You worked yeah, together like, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So I was working in a restaurant. Nick was driving Uber. Oh, wow. While we were doing this, yeah, that was yeah. where we were. Uh, that was like our main thing, and then we were doing this on the side. And then after a while, we moved home. And then when this got to a point where we were like ready to think about launching, because we didn't have enough time to, you know, work our jobs. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. And the development of the product from a flavor perspective, did you guys hire someone to do that with you, or did you really just figure it all out? It was like. 85 to 95, 90% us. And then 10%, wow. we had this consultancy, which was, I wouldn't really, it was just like two people who had food industry experience and they kind of pointed us in the direction of a couple of suppliers. And they also talked to us about food safety. 
yeah. <laughs> which was important, like yeah. the pH of our sauce and like making it a certain way and like all the things that mattered for like shelf life and packaging. And it was like a, mi- a mix of kind of leaning on them for just like key questions and then like having them kind of taste their product. They actually had a chef in the I think Napa area like taste it too. But, you know, the formulation was all us and a lot of the diligence was all us. When you were ready to launch the actual brand, when you had product and you were ready to sell it, did you start doing it through your Instagram? We launched on shelfhotsauce.com and uh-huh. in conjunction with having an e-com site, we had a little bit of a following and also a great seating list that enabled us to kind of connect with everybody through social. So Instagram was kind of like our yeah, and then everybody went to our website to purchase yep. the product. Yep. We used at sauce as like kind of our growth hack. Like we'd seed it, send it to a bunch of people and be like, check us out at sauce. And then people would love to tag at sauce because it's like an original name. And then that like contributed to like kind of the snowball effect. So talk about the beginning. What happened when you started? How hard or easy was it for you guys to get traction? I mean, it sounds like you had some built-in followers and people who would be willing to go on a ride with you, but was it, I mean, I, I know it's always hard to start a brand. So how was it for you guys? I think, well, so just wanted to back up a little bit. So when we when we did launch, we had really tried to do our best to have a product that would be ready for the world to see. So there wasn't really like, you know, a minimum viable product or a soft yeah. launch. You know, we had a custom cat that kind of was an ode to the black diamond of the kitchen, which was, you know, the truffle and then custom bottle and custom label. So when we did launch, it kind of came out of nowhere. We slowly teased it out about a week prior to actually revealing that we were going to be launching a hot sauce. And then once we did, it really just kind of was self-perpetuating. It started to really go viral our first year. And people were just like, what the heck is this? Everyone started talking about it. And, you know, word of mouth, as well as, you know, some paid media that we were doing behind the scenes. And one thing led to another. And year one was just bananas. Bananas in a good way? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's so interesting because you really didn't go down the traditional road of getting hiring consultants and understanding all the nuances of, I mean, maybe you did understand all the nuances of launching a brand and thinking about cost of goods and scaling. So that's why we went digital. Cause that's like where we knew how to, where we knew how to play. Like that was, yep. we kind of, I think knew better than most, especially in food and beverage by far. And so like play on your home turf is like, like we just, that was how we knew how to build a brand. And the reason we stayed away from retail was a, we were three times the category in terms of retail price. And we didn't know how that would go. Yeah. Yeah. Be like leverage. We didn't have the fun, the capital to like, Yep. Slotting and, and, you know, fun promos. We didn't even know what those things were actually, to be honest. And we also didn't want to risk like getting on a shelf and not selling. We did know like that would be a brand killer. Yep. So for us, it was like, Hey, let's build this business online, pretend we never need a retail door ever and only work with accounts that, you know, either a come to us or be our good fit and their customers can afford our price point. And, you know, our initial accounts like Neiman Marcus, Dean and DeLuca before they kind of went, went bankrupt. Yep. Wally's and Beverly Hills, much of like olive oil, wine and cheese shops from around the country that sold expensive, you know, gourmet foods and things like that. And so it was basically like, don't mess up, <laughs> like make sure everywhere you go works. And so yeah. like, that's why e-com was like, you know, whatever the, the majority of where we lived. And then, and plus that's where you get to connect with your audience, teach people about your product, you know, sell it direct get customer information, share value with them, emails, content, you know, things like that. 
did you guys go to Amazon when you at the beginning or did you wait a little bit for that? So we initially were kind of like, hey, we're never going to go on Amazon, mm -hmm. similar to how we said that about retail. Yeah. And then after our first year, we got picked up on Oprah's favorite things for her 2018 issue. And her list drops in conjunction with Amazon. So for us to kind of be really part of the opportunity, yeah. we needed to be on Amazon. Yep. So that's when we were like, okay, let's you know check out this Amazon thing. Let's figure out FBA. And once that happens, we became the best selling hot sauce on Amazon. We broke all these records and then that became a sizable portion of our e-com business and eventually just kind of led us you know, down the road to continue investing into it. What's the split for you guys from an e-com versus retail at this point percentage? We don't usually get like the exact percent, but we're way more retail now than we are e-com. Wow. Yeah, we're in about 15,000 doors, roughly. Wow. Were you ever, was that a goal or did it just happen? It was just going with the blows of building a business. Like yep. you know, that's when we got to a point where we had a certain scale, we were able to produce better. We found a sweet spot of $14.99 at retail. You know, we felt comfortable with that price point in, you know, the higher end grocery stores like the Whole Foods and the Wegmans of the world and Central Market and, you know, places like that, the natural channel. The data was impeccable. You know, we slowly got wider and a little bit more conventional and then wider and wider and wider. It was all like kind of brick by brick how we approached retail just because that North Star of like we, we refused to like mess up. Yeah. And so just very carefully, this is, that's kind of where we ended up. But the internet landscape has changed, as you know, with the privacy updates and whatnot and yep. all these different forces against, you know, like acquiring customers. And so... We, I think we got lucky in a way that we were able to get to retail when we did, but you know, yeah. also we're trying to proactively diversify. Yeah. Yeah. See? Talk about some of the challenges you guys had along the way. Cause it sounds like you had a lot of fun at the beginning and I'm sure you probably still are, but also there must've been challenges along the way. Yeah. I think one of the big challenges was us, you know, really being patient and sharpening the ax for many years before we launched. I think it would have been very easy for us to just take an off-the-shelf bottle, an off-the-shelf cap, and slap a label on a white-labeled product and say, hey, this is like the sauce of the at sauce account. But for us, we really wanted to take it a step further and do it the right way. And along the way, doing all of those things and checking all those boxes took a lot of work. You know, like creating a custom cap, creating a custom mold, custom bottles, and really doing everything that makes zero sense from like a CPG yeah. sauce brand yes. perspective. Yes. Nobody would have ever wanted to kind of jump over all of these hurdles. And for us, we really knew, hey, like if we're going to come out with the first luxury hot sauce brand in the world, we need this to be something that's ready for the world to see. It's not a gimmick. It's a recipe with great integrity and the packaging and experience. And the first time somebody holds this in their hand, it's really going to be something special. And, you know, we threw away our very first run of product just because the consistency wasn't right. It wasn't how we wanted the world to see it from mm -hmm. first point. And I think there were many other things along the way that kind of were challenges. Yeah. Like, just like, just so we're clear, <laughs> every day is like getting kicked in the face with problems and things that come up and there's no easy business to build. It doesn't exist. I think people see trough and it looks like everything's going great. And yeah. largely it is, but at a macro level, that's, that's true. But on a micro level, day to day, I mean, we have 
35 people working nonstop, working through the challenges that come up to, to build a business. You know, anything ops challenges, marketing challenges, sales challenges, retail challenges. I mean, supply chain, there's no limit to things we deal with in terms of like, you know, growing a, the business. I, I think it's, if anything, potentially a little harder for us because of how unique and custom mm-hmm. everything is. And so make no mistake that it's not an easy bill, but that's what I feel like being business savvy is, is like working through all of those things. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying business savvy, but like you get like, there's no easy ticket, I feel like. And we're definitely faced with the same challenges as any other business. Were there a lot of people telling you you were crazy when you were talking about luxury hot sauce, custom caps, everyone. like people like yeah. you guys are nuts. This isn't going to work. On everyone, everyone, co-packers. Our first co-packers were like laughing at us. Like, <laughs> what do you mean you're going to like, it doesn't make sense. And we're like, it, it doesn't need to make sense for you. Just like, can you, can you do this? Can you make <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And every step of the way is that, I mean, nothing we've ever done. I mean, I don't know if you've seen like our white truffle, but it comes in like a Tom Ford-esque box. And it's like, it doesn't make sense to shoot a bottle of hot sauce. And I'm like, nothing makes any sense, but we make it make sense on the back end. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's been one step of the way where people said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's great. Let's do it. There's, we've never not gotten pushback on everything we've ever done pretty much. How did you keep, like, what made you keep going when you were having people who were theoretically had done this before they were very smart. They were telling you things and you were like, nope, don't care. going to do it this way. What, what was it about? That's one of our happened? rules. That's one of our company rules. When someone says they've been doing something for 30 years, we go the other, we say, all right, you definitely don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's, that's a good sign that, cause it's like things change. Like they don't understand social media. They don't understand that we knew how to talk to our audience and, you know, yep. we didn't realize we can get exposure and that we saw a need in this market and that there was a lifestyle opportunity in hot sauce. It's like if everyone saw that, then there would be one, but the yep. beauty is that no one saw it. And that's, I think gave us confidence. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty wild. And then as you scale, talk a little bit about what that was like for you guys, because you were doing everything. I mean, maybe you still are. You seem like you're doing everything exactly the way you wanted to, but not the way bigger companies were doing it. And now you have, you know, you, I mean, 15,000 stores. Is that what you said? 15,000 doors? That's a lot. It's a lot to manage, a lot to supply. It's a lot to think about when you're thinking about velocity and stuff like that. So have you done anything in a traditional way or has it all been just kind of your way? we've always been extremely scrappy even to this day we're still mm-hmm. extremely scrappy with kind of how we operate the business i think along the way we got to a point where it was like hey you know we've gotten the business to to this far but now it's time to hire for the business that we want yep. in the future and you know that started out with just like our, our very basic first big hire and as the years have progressed continuing to you know build out our team and give people you know ownership in being responsible for whatever aspect of the business that they oversee. And I think along the way, it's really been incredible to see like how important team building is and having the right people together could, you know, take you very far. Mm -hmm. When you hire people, do you look for people who are like you, who don't want to do things the way that they've always been done? Is that part of your requirement for that too? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of our hires have been things we've seen in the wild, like our first real hire ever. Not, I mean, you could call it a real hire, but it was the first person to help us do things was an individual who worked in the ice cream shop near us. And he had such good customer service. We were like, this guy, so he was like 18. Wow. We're like, this guy gets people, how to talk to people. Like we need him. 
doing what? We don't know, but we need him here. So he helped us fill orders. And now he's our head of customer experience. And he's been, you know, that's his, that's his title, right, Nick? Dennis. Yeah, he's director of customer experience. Yeah. And like Michelle on this call, we had worked with her in a different capacity and she was just absolutely amazing. And, you know, the stars aligned for her to work with us, you know, in-house. Another big hire we had is Reno, who's our VP of sales. Well, he's actually our executive vice president now, but he came from Primal Kitchens who mm-hmm. helped build their condiments business out in retail. And so kind of to your question is, do we do things traditionally? We do things like retail. You can only do so untraditionally, right? Like yep. you know, so we do, we bend, bend where we can, but you know, we have to play within those rules, but we make a point to like bring our digital aspect to our retail environments and, you know, have good content around, like we do things in that trough way in each environment. What would you, I mean, I could guess what you would attribute your success to, but along the way, what, when did you guys sort of say, oh, we're, this is happening. This is going to be a success. Like, was there a point where you knew you really had it? I know no one has it figured out completely, but you really had something that was going to become a brand that was going to be real, that was going to become your real jobs and and your futures. I mean, one of our strengths is not thinking like that in the first place. Like, oh, like we made it or like, oh, this Mm -hmm. is, I think, you know, one of the, we took, when we finally had finished product, we took a picture of it. Like someone, he snapped it or I snapped it with our hand. We saw like the final bottle that we had been working on for two years and we were like, that's a thing. That's pretty cool. Little moments like that. You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the Oprah list effect was pretty yeah. cool. I think some of our early retail velocity was pretty cool. A lot of the hits we had from influencers and celebrities organically were pretty cool. So I think it's a culmination of little moments that kind of keeps the momentum going. I don't think there's been a we made it moment yet. I don't think there will ever be just because it could all be gone tomorrow. And we're very aware of that. Literally, yeah. we wake up and the business is gone. For, it's happened in thousands of businesses before us and thousands of businesses after us. And so we're very like kind of humble in that sense, but it's just heads down every day and hoping that that never happens. Yeah. Wow. Talk about what's next for you guys. I mean, you have a brand that's really viable. The world has changed dramatically probably twice since you started the business, right? Maybe more than that. And it's harder now than it was like, it's definitely, I mean, you guys did it in a totally unique way anyway, but right now it's hard. Capital's tight. Inflation's crazy. Brands are, well, like you said, they don't, a lot of brands don't make it. So, so what's next for you guys and how do you sort of maintain the success that you've had and keep it going and growing over the next few years? I think it's just continuing to, to do what we've done, you know, be very patient, be very methodical with the decisions that we make. We never want to be reactive to anything. And, you know, for us, we've modeled our business off of this idea of, you know, one bold stroke. We're never going to have 80 different SKUs for anybody to choose from. We're going to bring products to market that we can innovate in. We could create amazing flavors and continue to elevate household pantry staples from a condiments perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think we're still just scratching the surface. We're only five years old. Yes, we've done a lot of cool stuff, but there's still a lot of people out there that haven't tried. Truff. And I think, I mean, obviously the household pantry items elevated, that gives you lots of lots of room to grow, right? I mean, there's so many things you could be doing. Is that part of your sort of innovation plan? Is that a sneaky question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that sneaky. I'm not that good at being sneaky, but yes. No. Yeah. So kind of know what Nick said, like, we don't want to be all things for all people. If yeah. you kind of looked at our progression of products, it was just hot yeah. sauce and it was a white truffle version. So still hot sauce. 
and it was a hotter version of the original. So, and those are kind of like consumer demand things like people wanted to request it and there were no brainers like not to. And then our next thing was a new category, which is like pasta sauce. You know, we could talk about, you know, for a year, how much everyone loves pasta, right? And like us, you like, it's amazing pasta and it's a huge category. We wanted to play in it. And again, when we go to the drawing board, if we can't make an amazing product in a category, we won't go there because it's not, the point is to have a wow product. It's not to like, Mm -hmm. you know, be in a bunch of things and get, you know, and so the next thing was mayo. Mayo is the number one condiment in America, which kind of was shocking to us. We didn't know that. And part of like, we're very naive in a lot of ways, which I think it has helped us in some ways, but hurt us in others. And that was one of them. We didn't even know mayo was that big. And then oil, truffle oil made a lot of sense for us, mainly because we have an incredible truffle supply chain and incredible, you know, all of our ingredients are like as high quality as we could source. And, and I think anyone can source really. And so we had the ability to create, you know, a better value, higher quality truffle oil compared to kind of what's out there. And we had like kind of the awareness of our brand to like make it known quick. And so it just made a lot of sense for us. So I guess following all of those attributes, anything we see that kind of checks those boxes in the future that mm-hmm. we feel is true to us and also sits well in culture. Like I'm just making up an example, but like a plant-based tortilla wouldn't really be that cool, right? Mm-hmm. With truffle in it. And they wouldn't really resonate with the digital yeah. audience. But yep. you know, there's other things that could. And so we've looked at a couple other things, nothing we could like officially share, but not a whole lot more than what we have now, but maybe onesies, twosies here and there. How have the other products done for you guys? Are they as successful as the incredible. actual? Yeah. Absolutely incredible. I mean, we bring what we did to hot sauce to all of our other categories yep. content, with the innovation, with the you know way of telling the story of them. And we don't just like watch something and put it on the shelf. like the metaphorical shelf, like next to us. I mean, like, I don't mean the retail shelf. Like we want something, we like really put a lot into it. And so like each one of our categories have grown tremendously since we've launched them and they continue to, to grow. The demand is, is pretty wild. Where do you want the brand to be and the company to be in five years? Do you want to still be doing this? Is this your, like, is this your brand and you're going to, this is the thing you want to do? Or are you like serial entrepreneurs and want to keep creating new things, meaning new brands? We want to create a brand that you know, we never have to step away from. We yeah. want it to be something where, you know, Nick and I are 65 on the golf course and our <laughs> grandkids are sending us photos of putting truff on their dino nuggets. So I think <laughs> it's something that's extremely important to us. And we want there to be, you know, a very long lasting impression of a brand that we kind of innovated in a, a category that was ripe for innovation. Yeah. Awesome. And we still do like play around with other brands. We're investing in a few brands and we're not like, we're, we're definitely involved in like the industry that we kind of get our, our fix that way. But, you know, our focus is, is building trust into like a here to stay amazing long-term business. Are there brands that you guys are loving right now that are sort of up and coming that are maybe following your footsteps or brands that you guys have just been paying attention to that you think are really interesting and different sort of like you were a few years yeah. ago? Can we have involvement in the ones we mentioned? Yeah. One of our favorite ones right now is Last Crumb. They're a, a luxury cookie brand. They, well, it's a little bit, it's slightly more available now, but they bake like once a week and do quick online drops and sell out in like seconds. That's fun. And they're these amazing high, like again, very high quality, best in class. They, they come out for like $12 a cookie, I think. But when you take a bite, you, you like, you get why. 
Yeah. They ship them to you. And it's like just recently, like Kim Kardashian posted about them and like all mm-hmm. these, it's like they're taking over like kind of the cookie world. And we're a part of it. We're invested in the business. We help them out with a lot of different things. But when we saw them before we even knew them, we were like, what is this? We were obsessed with the approach. Alana, Derek, and Matt um, run the business and they just did an insanely good job with like, again, finding a white space that yeah. using the internet and having a product that backs it up. That's really cool. Do you guys mentor? I mean, it sounds almost like you're mentoring those guys. So we don't want to take credit for that business at all. Um, no, no, no. We definitely add a lot of, we add a lot of value, I think, for like bigger picture stuff and yeah. work stuff. We do we mentor. I think people hit us up nonstop, like emails and DMs and like texts for help with things. I think we can only get get to so much. And so yeah. we help the hardest workers, I feel like. When we see people who are really doing the work and can use a hand, like I think that's what we resonate with. Yep. A lot of people like will just hit us up for like quick, very free, helpful answers for things. And like they're never actually doing anything anyways. They're just wanting like a they're they're yeah. They're not doing the work by going and trying to get the answers and then just being over it anyway. So we always like someone has up like, hey, email us the questions that you have and we'll we'll get back to you when we can. And that weeds out most people because most people won't even take the time to type of email. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. And so, but we do help out a lot of different brands in a lot of different ways, but we never like we want to take any credit for another brand. No, no, no. Well, there's so many great. I mean, that leads me to my next question, which is about Austin. So you weren't in Austin always. That's recent. And what what drove that decision? So we were living in downtown LA during kind of peak COVID. And for us, there was a lot of great things that, you know, LA brought to our business. But I think at that time when, you know, we're so heads down trying to build this thing, living in the middle of downtown LA with, you know, civil unrest, there was, this is the time like the Lakers won the championship, the Dodgers won the championship. There's fireworks going off at 3 a.m. hitting against our window. We're like, hey, like, this isn't okay. We need to go somewhere else. And we had some of our team that was already living in Austin, being from Austin at the time. We heard of, you know, a great CPG community, a ton of entrepreneurs, a lot of food and beverage brands out there. And also just a great century located place that enabled us to lock in and focus a little bit better on what we needed to do as, you know, operators of a growing CPG brand. I think it's really interesting. I mean, that's one of the reasons I asked you about mentoring. I mean, there's such a huge CPG community there, startup community now, and there's so many great mentoring programs like Naturally Austin and SKU, all those things that I'm sure you guys know all about, but it's a really cool place, I think. I feel like Austin and and Colorado are the places now where everyone has sort of migrated to out of LA and out of New York. And it seems like the communities are so strong and supportive of what you guys are doing and brands like you. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like we were met with open arms here. Like Whole Foods is the headquarters here. Yep. Just kind of driving that CPG world. But like, you know, our friends here, whether it's the super coffee guys or just like people in hospitality or just like, there's been so many amazing circles of people and friendships that are just here in Austin, just strictly through like the industry. And it's really like, it is a special place and it's growing like wildfire and it's fun to be like on the ground level of it. Yeah, it must be. I want to ask you if you have advice, like I always ask at the end of an interview, give either the things that you found the most challenging and how you overcame them, or just advice for people who are trying to start something and are struggling or don't know how to handle the the challenges that they're getting thrown at them. Yeah, I think maybe we both take a stab at it. I think yeah. one of the things 
you know, Nick mentioned the term like sharpen the ax. A lot of people jump to just launch their brand. One of the things we see a lot is like the, the founder syndrome where like founders spend 85% of their time tweeting and LinkedIning and then like 15% of their time building their business. And it's like, we never understood that. <laughs> like, it feels like people are in it for the wrong reasons. And so like I posted this thing on my Instagram a few days ago. It was like the first brand like I tried to start, which was 10 years ago. That's why I posted it. It was like a TBT. And it was like, you know, it took 10 years for us to get from that point and Nick's brands at that same time to, to here today. And we've always kind of been patient and long-term. If I could urge people to think 10 years out versus like two months out so they can do a podcast and post about it, mm-hmm. I think it'd be a lot more kind of like careful thinking and thoughtful approaches to things. One of our sayings is like a lot of businesses should never have been started in the first place. And if you did a 10 minute analysis before you launched it, you know why basic gross margin, basic category analysis, understanding your approach, your positioning, like, so like being thoughtful and avoiding mistakes by thinking is another area where we've seen success happen for other brands, not just our own. And so I think those two things are super important. I'm sure Nick has a hundred more. Yeah, those are, those are the main ones. I think that the last thing, which we really kind of use as our, our Bible and guiding light is when you do launch, it's so easy to want to go innovate and create another product or jump into another category. And as a business being so new, you don't realize how small of, you know, how, how thin of the surface you're actually scratching after your first couple of years. And there's so many brands that they bring to market something amazing. Right. And then the next thing in their head is, okay, I need to do something else. Yeah. Before they're really even crossing the chasm into mass America or whatever market they're attracting, they haven't even built a foundation of customers who understand what their company is, what their product is. And next thing you know, they're getting distracted doing something else when, you know, their hero product that should be propelling the branded business forward is what they should be focusing on the most. Mm -hmm. I think it's like being patient and being able to say no and really just staying heads down and disciplined on going all in on whatever that hero product is. It's so interesting that you say that. I mean, I talk a lot about discipline on that front with founders, but I think the one of the interesting things is that it's not the consumer that gets tired and ready for something else. It's the founders generally right. that are like, oh, I need to do something else, but you you don't, right? right? Most of the time you don't. Most of the time what you said is true. I mean, there are only a few brands in the world that have gotten mad, like that are everywhere, right? That are you big, like there are so many brands that have so much work to do before they start doing innovation and branching out and giving up on the things that got them there in the first place. And I think that's a really interesting point because it's really hard, I think, for founders because you're entrepreneurs and you want to do more things and create and create and create. But that's when you sort of lose sight, I guess, of what's really important. Absolutely. I think one thing that's correlated to that is like Nick mentioned one bold stroke. In the, it's something Red Bull did for 30 years, Cholula did, you know, Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. like a lot of brands, they kind of do one thing very clearly, very well for a long yeah. period of time. And I think a reason a lot of founders do get distracted and do other things is because they aren't actually like when you take one bold stroke, there's a clear opening in a, in a category or in a market. That's what the stroke is. That's you're stroking that opportunity, that opening. Yeah. And if you're doing a bunch of other things, it's, you're likely not really filling the need in the first place. And yep. it's not one bold stroke because there isn't anything to, to paint over. And that's why like it's correlated that when people it's a it's a sign of lack of like thoughtfulness because it shows that you know not only 
did they go into something that they might not have, but now they have to go do other things because that first thing isn't working. Yep. That's really interesting theory too. What are you most excited about going forward? Check your phone tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> Check Instagram. I'm going to. That's really exciting. Now I've got something to look forward to. Yeah, we can share right now, right? Yeah, you can share. And it's also going to be announced at 9 a.m. Eastern just with the oh, press. Right. But if you want to look on Instagram, you can wait. Well, <laughs> I mean, this isn't going to air tomorrow, so I will. Let me go grab it. Yeah, okay, we'll okay, show okay. you what it is because okay. it is pretty epic. I would say it's our like a highlight of our entire lives, right? <laughs> wow, that's pretty big. I mean, you guys have done some pretty epic things already. It's definitely an exciting one. We're bringing together a newer, innovative brand like Truff with a legacy household staple. So this is a oh, wow. collaboration with Hidden Valley, the creator oh, wow. of Ranch. It's truffle infused ranch. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's, magnum that's amazing. So that's interesting because that's a really super oh. traditional brand. They yeah. must be like more excited than you guys are. <laughs> they might be <laughs> all excited. They have to be. No, no, that's no, really, no. I mean, that's a huge innovation for them. It's very cool for you guys too, but that's huge for them. That's yeah. going to bring them some real. So they're in like, you know, 40 plus percent of households in America. If you go to any grocery store, you look yeah. for ranch, three aisles of our Hidden Valley. And, you know, they basically created branch and made it available yeah. to people at scale. And it's like an honor for us to have a platform that big to, you know, share our flavor with. I was going to say that's quite a platform for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. And for them, you know, they kind of get kind of the cultural audience and, you know, the luxury kind of feel to, to yeah. their products. And so we're like so excited for this and uh, we've been working on it for a really long time and tomorrow's the launch date. How did you create that partnership? So our vice president of e-com knew, I think, someone at their brand at who was yeah. their brand manager or something. And she reached out to him because she saw he came over here and asked if we could all connect. If I'm not mistaken, Michelle, correct me where I butchered that. Yep, exactly what happened. So one of their brand marketing marketing managers used to work with our head of e-com. So the connection was already there when he started. I guess it popped up on LinkedIn and she had been kind of exploring spicy ranch just in general seeing consumers yeah. are making hot sauce with ranch and she took a look at trust page and was like this would be the most perfect partner so it's really cool that we activated it at first you know the initial conversations were more so around digital collaborations not really about a product thing but you yeah. know we drove it over the finish line which is really cool and they've really leaned on us for all creative direction which is also cool that's amazing. That. So you're launching tomorrow. Will you, will they be marketing? Will you be marketing? Is it going to be a joint effort? Total joint effort on both ends. So tomorrow is the announcement where we're going to be having a wait list. So people can sign up for the wait list for the next seven days. And then on August 30th is when it'll go on sale. And we're anticipating it to be as big as the Ritz Oreo collaboration where it sells out, breaks the internet, the website doesn't work. And it's gone in 10 minutes. Amazing. That's so Let's cool. hope that happens. That's really, well, I hope that happens. That's really exciting. Congratulations. What a great thing. That's huge. It's a huge thing. It's a big one. We have a great one coming in a couple of months. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. I'm so happy for you guys. That's amazing. And I also appreciate all the time you've given us. So I just want to ask before we wrap up, is there anything else you guys want to add? I mean, that was a big, giant, awesome announcement, but anything else you want to add? I think it was great. Yeah, awesome. um, thank you so much. 
Yeah, thank you guys so much. This is amazing. So I'm going to reach back out to you as soon as this gets to the editor. I'll try to fast track this a little bit because I think this announcement's really cool and I'd like it to still be relevant when we get the podcast aired. So I'll get this going as fast as I can. Amazing. Yeah, you did a great, you're clearly like in the space as we know and like you fully understand like kind of what it takes. And I think you did, it showed off in your questions that you're like- Well, thanks. I also think it's really, I mean, you guys came at this in a really unique way at a- perfectly timed moment. And I think it's so cool that you did it that way. There are so many stories that are very similar to each other where people have gone down the same route and raised capital in the same way. And, you know, that ship is kind of sailed too at this point. So you have to be as innovative as you were, whatever that means today, or whatever that means in five years, because it's just getting harder and harder. The space is crowded. I really am so blown away by what you guys did. And it's so impressive. And I wish you all the best. And I will definitely get this as soon as possible and keep in touch. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, guys. Bye, Michelle. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.